It's that time again. We go beyond the jive. Join our hosts, John Swan and Natalie B. Brave the sting of beekeeping to reap the sweet rewards. All you hive jive junkies out there, this is the Hive Jive. Facetious, huh? <laughs> so, so for those of you just joining us, um, we we've had a, a little session and we're we're not gonna recap it, but just so you know, like we're we are we're coming into this well warmed up because we have been discussing uh recent events and inventing and, and uh and and some things. And so Natalie, when I asked her if she was ready to record, she was like, let's go. I'm I'm a little facetious, but let's go. <laughs> Yeah, I'm in one of those moods, so <laughs> I'll try to behave. <laughs> She's in a mood. It's um, debatable whether or not additional rum inside her hot tea would make any difference or not. <laughs> That's right. I Be mean, positive. Be positive, head. Natalie. Follow hey. the advice of your cup. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Uh, you know, at one point, they they wanted us to do, uh, back when Ken was was with us, they wanted us to do an episode where we were doing taste testing of mead made from honey. Like mm. we taste tested the honey, but they wanted it to be live and video so that the longer it went on, the worse it got. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm not a drinker. So anything, I mean, I'm a, one glass of a, a wine, kind of a drunk, right? One drink. Yeah of a drunk uh, i get tipsy i don't get drunk and so that would have been i would have loved to participate in that that would have been something we might still <laughs> i mean <laughs> it's we can ship samples across the country to different oh, folks and have them good. join in <laughs> sounds good be like all right they're color-coded everybody take a shot of the green one <laughs> <laughs> i love your idea <laughs> it wasn't mine it was the listener's idea uh, they thought it would be funny to see us get ever more intoxicated and try to still do the podcast at the same time. Um, so that being said, today we are actually going to talk about improvisation. And uh, some of this has been improv in and of itself, but that's not the same kind of improvisation. Um, improving or improvising when you're doing beekeeping is actually something that can be very beneficial. Just simply having the ability to be resourceful, to mm -hmm. have that ingenuity in you to be able to create, be creative and come up with different solutions to things can be very invaluable whenever you are actually going through doing beekeeping. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I think. Life? I think that was a fly, but I'm not <laughs> sure. But it just like binged off the side of my head in the middle of that sentence. <laughs> It's going to be one of those evenings. <laughs> it's going to be a, it's going to be a time. So what are, what are we getting at with this? There is no actual solid thread. There is no, like, there is no lesson in here where we're going to go through and be like, okay, so here's what you should do. But what we are going to do is talk about some different scenarios and things where we've improvised and where you could improvise or just, you know, creative solutions to things. We brought up a thing uh, that I had learned. We were talking about going in, in, you know, still getting continuing education. And sometimes you can still pick up little tidbits and nuggets of things, even from something that seems very simple. And I was at a presentation where a lady talked about using the corks from alcohol bottles. So did you bring that back around in the circle there? Yeah. Um, the corks from the alcohol bottles as stoppers for your smoker. That is that is a way, way to improvise. That's being creative. It's being resourceful. It's using something that wasn't necessarily intended for that task to accomplish another goal. And it actually works out great. And it gives you another purpose to kind of like, you know, reuse and repurpose that actual cork as well. So then it doesn't get tossed into a landfill or something. So that is kind of a thing. Although side note on that, make sure it is actually a real cork and not one of the plastic ones, because you put the plastic one in your smoker, oh, and it's going to melt. <laughs> that's not a yeah. good thing. <laughs> that would be interesting. Yeah, that's the other kind of interesting that you don't want to have while you're driving down the road. <laughs> oh, okay. Let me tell you a story. This is not necessarily improvising. This is a total no-no. I... Uh... <laughs> 
caution. Uh, do so not do this at home. <laughs> I, um, you, you're going to see it coming because I was at the yard and I was just kind of doing the 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 bees, the tabar hives, and I put my smoker on the side of my pickup truck and I was just loading everything up and I was just kind of like, okay, I'm good. I've got everything. I'm get into the truck. I get to the next yard, which is like 10 minutes away. And I, I'm, I'm like, I got to do that transfer into those thick nukes and, and all that stuff. So I go back and I try to retrieve my smoker, which is not there, which I remember on the spot that I rolled over a stone when I was leaving, which was not a stone in my Oh opinion. no! So I raced right back to the previous yard. And this is like high fire danger, right? So I'm like, panicking I, I must have gone 70 miles an hour Shh, don't tell any oops I don't know what that is uh I don't tell anyone but uh I got back there and I had indeed rolled over the smoker which was not broken kind of like a crack like an egg with the top and the bottom smooshed down so tight with embers coming out and just smoke everywhere and I got there probably two minutes before it caught the entire neighborhood on fire Whoa. So, so my guardian angel, whatever, uh, was with me that day, and uh, it was trying to teach me a lesson that I really need to be careful with that smoker and put it, um, put that plug in there. So I have a wooden one. Yes. Like, yeah. Yeah. You you talked about the the big big pickle in the carrot or whatever. Yeah. Okay. So, but if you don't have a pickle or a carrot, and you don't want to use plastic improvise <laughs> and grab one of those <laughs> you guys don't have the image john is like crying like crying over here <laughs> grab a whole uh, handful of grass and not dry grass just green, green grass. grass and then fold it over twist it fold it over and shove it into that uh smoker hole because yep. that's going to slow down that combustion you're still going to have the ambers going at the bottom but you're not going to catch the neighborhood on fire and whatever you do remember to put it back either in the bed of your pickup truck on the hook where it usually goes in the bucket that it goes into and don't leave it on the side wall of your pickup truck no so see there you go you did you made it back around to improvising with the whole grabbing a handful yeah. of fresh green grass wadding it up shoving it in the in there so one of the reasons you want to do something like that is because I have been driving down the highway before when it was starting to get dark and I looked out yeah. the rearview mirror and I yep. see all these red things going yep, shooting out the top of the smoker. And I was like, oh, crap, I forgot to put the cork in there. Yeah. I've also noticed driving down the road that the smoker got so hot it was glowing red in the back oh. of the truck. Um, I have done something similar to yours, except we we didn't make it to another yard. We just went to the back of the 40 acres. But <laughs> so the the mostly dry creek that's not always dry that that separates oh, yeah. that main yard in half jorge and i at one point had checked the hives on the front half of it stuck the smoker just exactly like you said on the top edge of the tail or of the bed of the truck did not actually anchor it down like i normally do i usually have a a post that goes into one of the holes in the side of the, the truck wall. And then the smoker hooks over the top of that or the post hooks yeah. through the smoker, holds it onto the metal. So it's not touching any plastic or anything and it stays tight. And that's where my smoker drives and, and stays when I drive my smoker drives. <laughs> Anyhow. So that day though, I didn't, I set it on the side of the truck and I was doing this or that. And then we got in the truck and not only did we start driving, but there was a little bit of water. So we had to gun it and we basically <laughs> ramped through that that wet mucky area shot up the other side there was a buried piece of old farm equipment to the left that we damn near hit because it was buried in grass and we swerve around it and we're like oh my god and we're like laughing coins flew everywhere inside the pickup as it bounced we make it back to the back part of the acreage where we had all the the langstroth separated out you know quite a few yards apart and i'm like where's the smoker and He's like, um, I don't think we left it setting out there on any of the hives. I thought you had it. And I was like, I did. And then I was like, oh God, I set it on the side of the truck. Yep. And then we just ramped the truck through all this tall grass. So we did yep. the same thing. We had to turn around and haul butt back and retrace our steps, but we had to get out of the pickup and walk through the muck to be able oh, to yep. find it because we didn't know where it flew out at. And um, it was wet. 
right? Well, it 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 actually fell out when we first started driving before we actually when I gunned it basically because you go you go up one side, <laughs> gun it and go down and shoot out the other side to make it through this thing. Your smoker was there. Just, the smoker were, stayed and the, the truck went. Did. Yeah, <laughs> basically. So we did luck out with the fact that it stayed together. It didn't pop open and it fell in basically the 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 ruts where the truck drives. It was in the two tracks there. So it wasn't laying in the actual grass. It was in dirt. So I, I lucked out on that one, but it wasn't that far away. Um, there have been times, though, where I was out there at that same yard and no, 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 sorry. I was out at the where I used to do the removal yard where I had all the removal bees. I was over there and I had dropped off bees and I had checked a few others. And then I left and I drove over to the other main yard. And then as I was coming back, I saw all this black smoke coming from that direction. And wow. I drove back because I was like, oh my God, I'm burning down the country. Like I just oh, knew. Yeah. It was my fault. And it actually ended up being on the other side of the road over by the highway. Somebody yeah. had thrown a cigarette or something out, but the oh, direction yeah. from where I was and where the smoke was, was right in line with where that other yard would have been. And I could just see it in the distance. And I was like, oh, wow, that's oh, scary. No, no, no. Okay. Speaking of improvisation and fire, uh, Les has told me the story where he um, had a smoker in the back of his pickup truck when he was driving back with um, boxes and comb. And he looks up in his rear mirror and everything's there's flames everywhere. Oh, no, in the back of the truck. <laughs> and you can burn down the entire truck when that happens, right? You have to be very, very careful to not have your smoker or any flame near your, your hives because that wax is highly flammable. And so what he did, he improvised. He stopped uh, on, on um, highway, on road, on concrete, whatever. And he got in the back back of the pickup truck and kicked out all the hives, uh, and then drove off a little bit. And then he watched them burn. Ah, on the side of the road, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. At least it wasn't burning in the pickup. Yeah, that's that's yeah. it's one of those save the vehicle, make a choice, and exactly. you know, it's too late for the the equipment and stuff. Yeah, that that would that would be scary, actually. Yeah, um, I luckily did not ever set anything on fire in the truck, but. For those of you, if you like, I'm sure we all have stories kind of like this. Make sure you do plug up the end of the smoker so that nothing right. can come out of it. Air is still going to come across the bottom part of that and still potentially superheat it. But make sure it's anchored down. You don't want it rolling around so that it could pop open. Most of the time, people will get either a metal bucket or they will get an ammunition box that they can put yeah. the smoker in to keep it locked up so that it's not banging around. And then make sure there's not anything flammable in there with it, because again, it is right. super hot. It can get so hot that it's actually glowing at night. So don't, don't do that. Um, right. So moving on from smokers and, and fire, uh, moving over to something a little bit more kind of fly by the seat of your pants. So queens, queen cages, queen candy, things like that. Yeah. Whenever you do order queens in, keep the cages like even if it's an old rickety wood cage, whatever, keep the queen cages, keep them in either your beekeeping bag or box or your beekeeping vehicle, keep them somewhere nearby because, you know, you've heard us tell stories about when we were going through and we had just barely made it to a colony before it swarmed or right after it swarmed and like swarm cells of queens are emerging like one after the other after the other and you're trying to catch them all. Well, you need something to put them in. I, I have put them inside empty feed jars before because that's all I had. And so I'm like opening up the lid and throwing queens in it and screwing the lid back on. And, you know, like you do whatever you can do. But if you keep a hold of those queen cages, then you've got something that you can reuse. You say you're transferring a queen. Maybe you just need to, to keep her contained for just a little bit. Or you want to cage her up on purpose. If you've got one of those cages, slip her in there and then at that moment, you may not have anything to put in the end of it. Grab some wax out of the colony, roll it up and shove it in the end of it. Now you've got a cork or a plug in there. She can't get out. And if you're putting her back inside the colony, all is well. If you are going to transport her somewhere, grab a nurse bee or two and put in there with her if there's room so that she has somebody to feed her. And, you know, then you're good to go. Now, the other side of that, this is a question that actually comes up quite often, but it came up here recently, and I hadn't actually heard of that, the uh, the method that they were going to do. But so now you got a queen in a queen cage, and you want to release her back into a colony, and you want to do some sort of candy release. So 
the next words out of my mouth are going to be a contradiction to what you normally hear. <laughs> Most of the time, when we talk about feeding bees, we talk about what you should not do and what you should not have in there. And you should never use powdered sugar because there's all kinds of extra substitutes and stuff in it. You shouldn't use some of these other things. But when it comes to queen candy, that kind of goes out the window. And the only reason that I'm going to give it a pass is because you're not feeding an entire colony of bees mass quantities of this stuff during the winter, which is usually the problem times when they can't get out because there's there's solid pieces in there that they have to pass through their digestive system and excrete out. And if they can't get out of the colony for long periods, it can cause diarrhea and then that can spread disease and, and other issues. But when you're talking about queen candy, you're talking about a small plug of candy that is consumed, just the majority of it is consumed by a handful of bees and their worker bees only. The queen's not really eating on it. She's just trapped in there. Bees on the inside are chewing out. Bees on the outside are chewing in. And so it's also usually done at a time of year where they do fly readily and they can relieve themselves and it's not that big of an issue. So all that being said, queen candy, if you have to make it in a pinch, powdered sugar, the thing that we always tell you not to use, you can use powdered sugar. Mix you up some two to one sugar syrup. In a pinch, if you had to, you could use some other kinds of syrup, but I'm not going to necessarily advocate for that. But mix you up some two to one sugar syrup. Get your powdered sugar, put a tiny drop of that two to one syrup in there, and then just start kneading in the powdered sugar until you get a consistency that's not sticky, but is pliable like dough. Roll it up, shove it in the end of the thing. Now, what if you don't necessarily have that stuff? If you have a marshmallow, shove a marshmallow in there. <laughs> a bag of mini marshmallows in your glove box, guys. Well, yes. they'll, in Texas, they'll melt. And then you'll have a block of mega, mega marshmallow. <laughs> really? I've never, yeah. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I, I've never seen it melt in my car, but it was in the glove box. So I have had comb melt on my dashboard. Um, um, oh, no. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah. Yeah. So. There you go. Marshmallows. So you don't have the time. You don't have the ingredients. You really need it in a pinch. But if you got a marshmallow, you can shove a marshmallow inside there and it's going to do the same thing. It's going to allow them to stay put, but it'll take them a day or so to go through and chew through that, lick through it and release the queen. So you can do those sort of things in that process. Now, what this listener was doing was I hadn't necessarily, I, I think like maybe I've heard this term and it may be a term that is colloquial where it's called that here kind of like the difference between soda and pop depending on if you're from the north or from the south you call it soda or you call it pop it's really supposed to be both um and when i moved to a certain region and i said pop somebody informed me that was my father and not a drink and uh anyhow that's beside the point so but they talked about taking the equivalent of dots basically like the candies that you would get when you go okay. to the movie theater which have a gummy squishy kind of consistency and usually a little bit of like a, a crystallized sugar on the outside they were curious if they could use something like that and shove it in there and if that would work now when looking at it from that perspective possibly the consistency is a little bit different. It's probably got gelatin and a few other things inside of it that the other stuff wouldn't. It also has dyes inside of it that the other stuff wouldn't. So it wouldn't be my first thing. I would say go back to the marshmallow or make a quick batch of just queen candy. But if you don't have anything else and you just happen to have a box of that in your truck and it was a one-time thing, you know, it's another one of those improvisational things where you can try it and it might work. And if so, hey, there you go. No harm, no foul. <laughs> Right. So, I mean, yeah, there's all kinds of things you can do, but remember if you're using wax, um, you have to come back and take care of it because it, it, very often they can't take it out. Right. right? The wax so, is a, the wax is a permanent, same thing as a cork. I'm mm -hmm. putting it in there so that she cannot get out. Right. You have to right. take that. That is, that was a very good catch. That's a good point. You have to take that wax out of there, which I assume is an obvious step in my head and then put the candy in its place before you try to introduce her into something. But yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's step, except that ask me how I know. <laughs> Cause you did it and forgot one day. <laughs> exactly. I'm really, I mean, I'm, I'm more of the kind that doesn't need to keep the corks or anything in my queen um, cages. I need to kind of wait a little bit, put her in there and then walk away and be good with it because I, I always tell myself I'm going to come back and I never do. So sometimes they've been in there for a couple of weeks and I'm like, oh, that was not a good idea. 
Yeah. Well, so best case scenario in that situation is you forced an imposed brood break. The bees yeah. kept the queen alive, did not try to raise an emergency queen cell at all as well. Um, that's the best case scenario. Right. Worst case scenarios are all of those other things did happen <laughs> instead of didn't happen. <laughs> right. And then very often when if you are if it's a purchased queen, um, those might not have had time enough to mature in their laying capacity, their ovaries developing and all the stuff. So it might have been harvested right away as soon as they popped a few eggs. <laughs> and that's not very good for them to stop laying for a couple of weeks at that point. They really need to keep going. And then it, when they've been laying for two, three weeks, that's okay. They can go through those extended brood breaks, but not right away. So depending on where she came from and how long she was uh, laying for before she was harvested, that's something you want to keep in mind. That is absolutely true. So another little more recent uh, improvisation that I ended up doing was we talked about procrastination on the procrastination episode. And then last episode, I reminded everybody I was still procrastinating and had not actually put the bees into the two by lumber. Uh, so this week, actually last weekend, um, yeah, two days ago, yes, yeah. I don't remember what day it was. It was Sunday. I believe it was Sunday. So this just this last Sunday, um, we had nice enough weather coming up and I had a whole list of chores that I was going to do. I was going to be at home all day. So I had time to go through and work on this stuff. And I went ahead and found as much scrap to buy lumber as I could. And I was able to cut basically the walls and the sides of what would be a nuke box. I did not have enough lumber to build a floor or a lid. So, but I still had scrap lumber everywhere. And I had this little stand that I had made for the nuke box to set on when it was attached to the top bar hive. So I went ahead and number one, built the box because in my brain, I'm building a nuke box. So I built the whole nuke box and then I stopped and the glue's drying. And I'm like, wait, something's not right with this picture. And then I was like, crap, one of those walls has to stay off because I have to attach that to the top bar first and then attach the other three walls oh, to it yeah. because there's no way I'll ever get a drill inside this narrow yeah. little box yeah. to screw it in. So I had to like quickly take it all back apart and hope the glue didn't dry. Mm. I get that done and I scavenge around some one by lumber, just uh, thin paneling type sheets that I could use as the base. And what I ended up doing was stacking them on top of each other gluing and screwing them together to make mostly almost a two by kind of one and three quarter thick bottom board and thick lid. They're not the same dimensions. I, I have all my tools are over at the investment property at the moment. So right. I was, I was working with what I had on hand, which was right. like a saw. And uh, so I was able to go through and build a base and build a top that I could then set this on top of and make it work. And then I get the bees all inside there and realize I didn't make a hole in the other side so that they could make it yeah. into the top bar. So I had to take the bees back out, <laughs> drill oh, the hole in. Drill the entrance hole? Yeah. They don't care. I mean, honestly, you can No, drill. no, they're, well, but I was more concerned with, my luck would be the drill goes through the wood and jabs into the comb and the queen standing there or something, you know, like <laughs> I didn't want to take any chances. So I took those back out, put them back in the plastic box, drilled oh, the hole from the inside through, put them back over into the nuke box. So this was okay. like a, this was a multifaceted project <laughs> that was supposed to be simple. So um, <laughs> the other thing you can do if you're not comfortable with the drill paddle or whatever going through and potentially jabbing the, um, the comb or the queen, you can move those bars, make some space, drill, bring them right back. That's, that's another option. <laughs> yeah. So what, what I did on this one is once, um, so basically I took one of the long walls and I screwed it into the top bar as if it were the end cap of the top bar. I like that. That's a great idea. I already have the uh, the platform coming out from underneath there that mm -hmm. the nuke box was sitting on. And then I went ahead and added another layer to that. I put glue and another layer on there, screwed that down. So now I've got the, the double thick on that one. Um, just reinforcing the braces underneath it that were holding it up. And then that solid piece that is now screwed into the side of the top bar that is anchored and glued and screwed in there really well. So then I take the other three sides and slide them into place and screw those in to the piece that's okay. now attached. So now it's all permanently attached. It's all really good. Um, the top, I decided 
was also going to be semi-permanently attached so that if something ever does come and flip it over, it's not coming off. Mm -hmm. So this nuke box that is two by lumber has no entrance and exit to the exterior. The only entrance is to the interior of the top bar. And what I did for that is I moved the bars, which don't have anything on them right now, Mm -hmm. and drilled from the inside of the top bar into the inside of the nuke Right. right at the bottom at the floor level. So okay. they can drag things out. They don't have to try to carry it up the side or anything. Right. And I did two screw holes high to make sure that it was thick enough. Drones could fit through there, things like that, you know, and it, it can't get clogged up very easily. Um, so that's right at the base. Get everybody in there, get it all set up. And then I put the lid, which was another one of these. I found two panels and glued and screwed them together, put the lid on the top and I screwed that sucker in in right i i did screw some of those uh tops onto the nuke boxes i just didn't want to mess with it and like you i don't have any entrances anywhere in those boxes either so yeah i mean that 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 makes sense to me that's really cool yeah, yeah so you finally got it done i finally got it done it's yeah. not the prettiest thing because it's not all the same dimensions it's not even all the same type of wood it was whatever i found that i could scavenge up and put together but again it's improvising. It's going through and yes, using what is at your disposal that. to make yeah. it work. You're being resourceful. You're being creative. You're, you know, it's it's ingenuity, yeah. you know. Well, and and by the same token, those easy plastic boxes that the Langshoff nukes come into and then you plop in onto the end piece of the Tabar Hive to get them to convert. That's an improvisation. On that the is. Field. That yeah. is. It, it, it's genius. It is a pure stroke of genius that I still love. The first, I remember when I first saw that video, I was just gaga. I was like, oh my God, you've got to see this thing Natalie did. This is so freaking cool. And then I was also mad that I had never thought about it ever. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, you know, we have this, might as well, this is a nuke box. It works just as well. And and if you're doing it in the spring, it's uh, insulated enough that it's not a big deal. Yeah. yeah. If I were not in bear country, it would have been fine. Oh, yeah. I didn't plan for that because I don't live in bear country. (laughs) I didn't plan for it the first time, but by God, that's that new nuke box that's out there is like Fort Knox. Like for it. Yeah, he's he he might if they expand over into the other side and they start building comb there. Yeah. If he ever gets that sucker off the ground and flips it over, he can get the bars off there and eventually, you know, get the top off and stuff. But he's not getting inside that nuke box. (laughs) Yeah, I know. He's not uh, the um, bars. If you want to secure them, you could put some crossbars or something to anchor them to the hive so that he can't get into that either. You're going to have to be creative. I, yep, that would be another. I was kind of wondering about that as I was thinking, like, what are the things that I can do to to keep this from happening again? And obviously, you know, like deterrence, we don't want anybody to to get there. That's the easiest solution. But I'm also looking at, like, how do I somehow concrete this sucker to the ground or permanently anchor it to the ground so that it can't flip over and be knocked down the hill and it can't be picked up because if he can't flip it over and pick it up then the only thing you got to worry about is the cover and if he can't get the cover off because it's metal then we're good but if he does that's exactly right like how do you keep the bars in place in case it is going to flip things along those lines you know there's all kinds of different stuff that could be done Um, but it comes back to being creative. You just, you know, use what's at your resources right then and there and, and go with it. The same scenarios apply to like swarm catching, right? Right. Oh yeah. You're, you get a call that there's a swarm and you're not planning on picking one up, but there's a, there's a grocery store or something nearby, or you've got a cardboard box in the back of your, your vehicle that you just picked up from Amazon, you know? dump all the stuff out of it, poke a few tiny holes in it, dump the bees in there, you know, like whatever you can do to make it work in the uh, short term. (laughs) I have uh, used one of those uh, um, veils that come over your shoulders and use that as a bag to catch the swarm. I've done that too. Nothing else. Yeah. (laughs) I have done that too. I have actually walked out and I I have, uh, mine is one that was made to zip onto a suit but I don't have that suit anymore and I don't have one that it fits. So I use it the same way as the ones that have the ties that you're supposed to wrap and tie around you. I just put it over my head, tuck it into my shirt and call it good. And I'm done. And I, that's exactly what I did. You know, we, we had, uh, there was some things on Instagram. I think it was like a year ago, maybe two years ago where I showed up to the B yard and that was all I had. (laughs) 
Right. I didn't have my suit. I didn't have my smoker. All I had was just this safari hat veil. (laughs) So uh, speaking of which, those mosquito nets that you uh, can have the veils, you just throw that over your baseball hat or your hat and you're good to go. Right. That's true. I've been known to uh, those unzipped fencing veils uh, to walk to grab it from my car, put it over my head. And it's like, this is a temporary protection. That's actually pretty good. Yeah. Uh, Your face will be fine. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But I've done that exact same thing. I've taken the veil and I have flipped it upside down and walked over and just stuck it up around a swarm, smacked the top of whatever they were on and then just cinched it up real tight and walked (laughs) off with it. Uh, sheets, pillowcases, things like that. Buckets, you know, just in a pinch, right? Uh, which, by the way, you can also use for swarm traps. You can just improvise and put those up in, in a tree and drill a hole at the bottom, put some some wax inside and just kind of use that and see if you catch some bees. Yeah, so the buckets, there there is an actual item that you can buy that is a bucket on a swivel that is made for swarm catching where you can hoist it up underneath the swarm and then smack and they fall down in the bucket. And as you lower it, it keeps the bucket vertical as you're coming down. This little, little swivel on the pole keeps it that way. Well, I, the, the, like the second year that I was keeping bees in Austin had bees at my house that swarmed and landed in my neighbor's tree. And I didn't have time to, you know, get online and buy this thing and have it delivered in time for me to get out there and get it. I was just like, Oh God, what do I do? And they weren't home. And I wanted to get them out of their yard before they got home. So I took my massive ladder and I did it a frame style over the top of the fence. So I could literally walk up one side and down the other side of the fence. (laughs) And then standing on the ladder, I took a five gallon bucket and I had a pond net pole the, oh, like good. like you would use for a swimming pool, but it was for my pond yes. to skim stuff out of the pond. Perfect. So I took the net off of it and left the frame for it, stuck that to the bucket and duct taped the crap out of that sucker yeah. so that it would stay on there. And then I had an extending pole with a five gallon bucket on the end of it. Right. I couldn't tilt it, you know, like it, it had to stay up and down because if you tilted right. it, everything was going to fall out. Um, but I was able to stand on the ladder smack the bees they fell in the bucket and then i just loosened my grip on the pole so the pole slid straight down right. and i caught the bucket while i was standing on the ladder <laughs> wow bees got a jolt didn't they, they did they got two jolts they got one when i knocked him in there and then one when i caught it and there then i go. immediately tried to run down the ladder and put the lid on it and kind of you know leave right. it set where they could i had to have it propped up against the ladder but leave it right. set so that they could all come down into it and then carry it back up the ladder, down the other side of the fence, pull my ladder back over. Yeah. Nothing ever happened. <laughs> Nobody's the wiser. And you got the queen. She was in there, right? Yep. Yeah, she was there. Um, I went through and, and put them back where they were supposed to go, put a queen excluder on there so they couldn't try that again. <laughs> like... right, right. Uh, speaking of queen excluders or um, robbing conditions and things like that, um, sticks and stones in the entrances to reduce them. If you don't have an entrance reducer, you can use that or tape sometimes, but try to put a little piece of tape inside at the same time because you don't want bees getting stuck to it. Yeah, like um, take one piece and double fold it and then put that on the inside of the piece that you're going to put over so that they have a non-sticky surface that they're coming into contact with. Now, don't be fooled though. None of that is a long-term, nothing that we've talked about today is a long-term solution. These are spur of the moment you had nothing else. You just made do with what you could and tape. If left long enough, they will chew through it. I don't care if it's gorilla tape, they will chew through it. This being said, if they don't want to chew through it and they want to use it as a barrier, like they do with propolis, you will have a tiny little pencil size hole and they will leave the rest. They will just use that. Just one bee at a time. Yep, that is true. If it, if it actually works to their advantage, then they're like, Hey, look, we don't have to do anything here. We're already good. So yeah, there's all kinds of things. Now, um, uh, improvising when it comes to uh, splitting, um, uh, combining, and all this stuff. What what are your thoughts on that? Like, so my my favorite thing that I learned that is this is something that honestly you can do most of the time in a pinch, and it's not a problem, but. When you're going through and you're doing a split or you're combining a colony, let's talk about combining a colony. Um, 
for whatever reason. And I did this a lot because I had tons of nukes because every time I did a removal, they went into a nuke box mm -hmm. and coming up into winter, you don't necessarily, you know, want to overwinter 12 tiny nukes. Instead, you would rather overwinter six bigger nukes or three huge colonies or something, yeah. right? So I learned very quickly that, yeah, there's all these things you can do. You can have all these fancy things and you can do the sprays and the smells and all that stuff. But if you alternate, every other comb comes from a different right. place. Everything mm -hmm. is already so messed up. There's so many smells in there. There is no fighting because it's chaos. Nobody knows whose combs whose, whose colonies whose. They're just like, what happened? You can literally combine a colony and walk away and not have any issues by yeah. using that method. And that is a great thing to know and to have in your little tool pouch, right. basically your mental tool pouch there, because the only thing you've got to do is find the queens. So yeah. the queen that you don't want to be in there, you or, make sure she's gone. Or in a pinch, you can let them duck it out. But you, you, know. you can. My only fear with that was that they may try to swarm and abscond or something and take some of my bees with them. So I usually didn't give them that opportunity. Um, and I usually had a favorite. There was always one that seemed to be doing better. If you can't choose or you just don't have the heart to off one of them, absolutely put them both in there, lock them up, let nature figure it out on its own. But I would usually go through and I would do three, three little nuke colonies and I would have a bigger box there and I would go comb from colony one, comb from colony two, comb from colony three. And then I would start over and just repeat that. You keep it in the same order though. So don't do brood, capped honey, brood, oh, yeah, capped you honey. You know, you want all your brood together, all your, you know, keep the structure of the nest the way that it should be, but interchange all these different combs in there. And then that's it. You don't have to shake bees off of anything. You literally just pick up one, stick it in place, pick up one, stick it in place. So, and, and for that very reason, I do the exact same thing. I've never used, I think I've used the newspaper combined method once. Um, because I mean, it's not necessary. It's just kind of a, uh, and, and then with the Langstroth, it's kind of hard because if you have maybe like four combs in the, or six combs in the eight frame box that are filled, and then you have at the bottom, you have, um, all eight. Now you're combining those two. What are you going to do with those resources? Right. Uh, you're going to have to take them off. You can't leave those combs on top of it. There's all kinds of things to consider. Um, but the, um, the reverse of compression and combining, you can also split colonies that way. Meaning if you have a large colony, you don't even have to look for the queen when it's the season. Of course, it's better to wait until they have swarm cells. But you know, let's say they've got tons of resources, there's drones, a lot of cat brood, a lot of um, young nurse bees, and you can't find the queen because it's packed full with bees. Well, just go ahead and take one comb, uh, every other comb, put it in your split, and then your queen will be in one of those two boxes, but chances are that the other one's going to have eggs and they can make a queen. And then the other thing I like to improvise on is if you're trying to equalize the number of, I mean, the, the populations, uh, you can just kind of um, have a weak colony, move it um, so basically, uh, take a large colony that's got a lot of foragers that's really booming, uh, bring your little colony over, replace, swap it out, and now you've got that little colony that's going to gather all those foragers. It's like a kind of like a magic trick. You're swapping the, the, the boxes, and that's an easy way to boost your colony as well. Yep. That is actually, that's one of the things that is super simple to do, and depending on where they're at, it literally can just be flip-flopping their location on a bar. Yeah. You know, like I've got this bench set up and I've got a colony here and a colony here and this one seems weak. So you just flip-flop their positions and that weak one will now get all the foragers from the, the strong one. And the strong one will be decreased a little bit, but it was already strong to begin with. So it'll kind of balance those two things out. That's always a very easy thing to do. Um, yeah. We talked about like the rocks and the stones and the sticks. That's another thing you, you always hear in beekeeping this whole... You, you got out if you're not, if you're going to go more than three feet, you got to go five miles. You know, you got this whole scenario. You can move them slowly, little increments right. at a time. Most of the time, I don't have time for that. So if I'm going to go through and I'm going to relocate a colony and I'm going to do a split or something from it, they're going to go just right over beside it, or I'm going to move them to where they're going to be. I will try to do it at a time of day, if possible, where the majority of all the foragers are home. Right. And then when I put it in that place, 
I do something to it to make it different. I, I purposely have tree branches or like you said, rocks or stones, something that when they come out, they're like, what the heck? They then go through and do a reorientation. Rarely do you have very many bees show back up at where that other location was. If you're concerned about it, put a box there. Even if it's just an empty box, it can be a freaking cardboard oh, box with a hole cut in it. Yeah. And the foragers will go into that box. And then at the end of the night, carry them over and dump them back into their collie. Right. Exactly. Exactly. No, that works super well. I like that idea as well. Uh, the um, always have enough equipment, like some of the equipment that you're going to need have like a bucket of bars. If you're a Tabara beekeeper, have, um, you know, it's harder for the Langstroth, but having at least one bottom board, one, one lid and one box with some frames so that you can improvise and you can take care of things because so often I'm in the field and if I didn't load that up, I, I, I it's much harder to improvise at that point and do things like splitting on the spot or anything like that. So just kind of have a, a little toolbox, a little, you know, have have a lot of things that you can be, uh, that they're versatile, that you can use for all kinds of things as well. We had a stack of random things, inner covers, bottom boards, lids. And most of the time, um, at one point, it was all neatly on pallets and it was organized. And then wood ants and termites got into it and started screwing everything up. And it kind of just became this pile of debris. But yeah. we had um, many times when we would get out there and we'd be like, oh, crap, we need to do a split or we need to do this. Or I just caught a swarm. We need to put them in something. And we would start scavenging pieces of stuff. And there was plenty of times where bottom boards became lids because... Yeah. It's the same concept. It covers it up. They've got, now you've got a top entrance. Oh, well, <laughs> like right. you could. Right. And again, if you want to plug it up, if you can take some wax from the colony, shove right. it in the hole and there you go. It's plugged. If they want it, they can eventually work through it. If not, you can pop it out whenever you want to. Um, but in a pinch, like if you're like, okay, I'm going to make a list that when I come back next time, I need to bring one of the telescoping right. lids. But today I got to have something. Here's a bottom board. Dink, there right. you go. There's a lid. <laughs> Yeah, and, and, and you can also have a solid bottom board it's like using two lids and just, oh, all of a sudden there's no entrance on your Langstroth, but have your uh, drill uh, paddle um, in your um, electric drill and just kind of drill a hole at the bottom and there you go, you have an entrance, right? You don't have to have necessarily uh, those uh, wooden entrance reducers that I lose all the time. I'm just, it's not... I, you know, those huge catalogs that the big, big supplies have, and it's like looking more and more like a phone book, right? Yeah. Uh, and I just kind of looking at it and it's like, this is just ways to spend your money. You can improvise and you don't have to buy all this stuff. So entrance reducers, wooden entrance reducers for Langstroth colonies, old Langstroth frames that are kind of falling apart, mm -hmm. break them apart. You can use the top bar, depending on how tall the edges are for your bottom board. Mm -hmm. You can actually use the top of it. You can turn it up if it needs to be taller, lay it flat if it needs to be shorter. But mm -hmm. you can use the top and or the bottom of a frame by pulling it back apart and sticking it in the entrance. And if it's too long, break it in half and then make sure that you just have like a little inch on one side right. that is open. And there you go. You've you reduced the entrance and you've got a little thing for them to come and go from. It doesn't Dang. always have to be pretty. Like we want all of our stuff on Instagram to be pretty and you want to see all the neat little pictures and stuff. Yeah. I, there was one picture a while back that I, I loved because it was the perfect example of, of beekeeping the way we think it should go and then beekeeping in reality. And the first right. one was when they first set up their apiary. All the boxes all were brand perfect. new. They were all perfect. They were all the same color. You know, this one was all pink. This one was all blue. And then they show it like two years later and it's like a hodgepodge mix mess like a tornado came through and just mixed it all up it's all scrambled together this doesn't really fit with that but whatever it was what we had at the time you know and, and so you just slap it all together but it goes back to what i've always said i've said it since the very beginning of the show beekeeping is beekeeping what you put your bees in is kind of irrelevant to the bees mm it only really matters to the beekeeper. So this whole thing about, but it has to be an introducer or it has to be that. No, it yeah. doesn't. They're looking for a cavity period. Yeah. And yeah. if the cavity fits the majority of their needs, they're good to go. So, so what you didn't have an introducer and you broke a stick off and shoved it in there or, you know, like whatever, 
it'll work. It'll get the job done and you can always come back later and fix it if it bothers you. <laughs> exactly. So here's one, uh, feeding a small colony, preferably not in robbing season, but feeding them sugar syrup and you don't have a feeder, but you do have drawn comb and especially um, uh, drone drawn comb. Get that syrup that you have and take that comb, put it upside down or on its face, but slightly at an angle upside down and just kind of pour that into the, I mean, this way and pour the syrup into the cells, kind of shake them, get the syrup and kind of gently flip it over, do the same thing. And then you can use that as your feeder. That's going to retain the sugar syrup. Um, but you don't want to do that um, uh, in robbing season. No, <laughs> no, you've got, yeah. And you're going to do the prep work of that inside, because again, if you spill any of that, yeah. especially in robbing season, it is going to be a problem, but I have actually seen things online. We had one of the beekeepers up in Missouri who did top bars sent this thing that they had found a couple of years ago on using empty comb to make a solid sugar board feeder mm -hmm. by making a sugar solution that was just barely pourable but so thick that they could go through and they could pour it over and then use like a, one of the rubber spatulas and just very gently come across to kind of help it filter down into the comb. Yeah. And they used a comb from a bar, from a top bar, and they filled it with that sugar. And then they put it on the outer part of the hive right. so that if the bees finally made it through their stores, there was an emergency food store there. It was the same thing as them coming into contact with like a sugar block except it was hanging up on a comb. <laughs> so. I like that idea. Um, how about you uh, are trying to get a top bar started, but you don't have comb. You had your Langstroth drawn comb and you are not using foundation. You can take those frames and Do cut it spread in half. <laughs> yeah. And, and hang those on, on rest, repair bars. But if you so people usually like to cut the, the line stress frames to the angle of the top bar, and then you, you get a, do away with the little triangles at the bottom. But really, this was full. Cut them in half straight in the middle and a little bit at the bottom so it's not too deep, and you just hang it into the, uh, the, the top bar hive. It doesn't have to be a triangle. The bees will fill it in. That's right. It goes both ways. You either cut it to fit the shape, or you put something smaller in there and they will expand it to fit the shape. Right. So you come back a couple of months later, if it's in the growing season, and you'll just see a dark little rectangle in the center where that comb was. And then there's going to be the whole rest of it is brand new comb that is shaped like the inner dimensions of your colony, of your hive. That's right. Another one, if you have bars that are at least 20 inches uh, in your top of hive, and you're trying to uh, transport or even sell top bar nukes, but you don't have a, you don't want to give away your wooden box, your top bar nukes and whatever. Get those easy uh, white Langstroth nuke boxes. And if your bars are long enough, you just drop them in there. You've got your comb hanging. It doesn't fill the entire cavity. That's okay. And then you can have whoever picks it up or you can transport it to another hive and move them into another box. And as long as you don't leave them in there for too long on in periods of expansion, it's going to remain like that for a little bit, right? Yeah. So it's a like we mentioned literally just a second ago, if you leave it in there too long, yeah, it's going to end up being a giant rectangle shaped yeah. like a frame inside this box. But the key to what you just said is the bars must be 20 inches long. Oh, yes. If your bar is 19 inches long, don't do it. Or put a spacer bar running sideways on either side so your bars yeah. can't slide That's because mm -hmm. if they slide over they will fall down inside there and that'll be a problem. Or if your bars are 19 inches or shorter, the other thing you could potentially do is flip the entire colony upside down, put the bars uh, diagonal into the box with the comb above it. And as long as you're transporting it for a little bit, they'll be fine. And then you get home and you put it all right back up. See, those, those are back into the emergency situations. I had nothing else that would work. I have done that before. I have put combs in there, stick it upwards. <laughs> yep, exactly. Yeah. So, so yeah. you know, we're we're talking about top bar stuff and the improvising and improv improvisation, I guess is what I'm trying to say. That's not really what okay. I was trying to get at. But um, we're talking about those types of scenarios at the moment. And one of the things that I always was, <laughs> I felt very proud of myself for this one. Not sure why, but yeah. 
my removal boxes were all over the place. It was literally, it was almost like I just did how I explained on this nuke box out here where I just took extra material and resources. I built a top bar and I have a couple of square pieces left over. I'm going to use those and I'm going to make a mini top bar nuke box. They were not all the same dimensions. Some of them were repurposed other things and they were all put together. So my my removal boxes were literally all over the place. They They didn't fit any key dimension. But down there, when I was in Central Texas, there was two main camps. There was the 17-inch top bar camp, and mm-hmm. then there was the 19-inch top bar camp. And Les and all of us came from that 19-inch side. And then you got these outliers out there that are selling nukes or selling hives that are the 17-inch size. Well, that caused a problem because if I'm selling nukes, but all of my nukes are 19-inch nukes, they're not going to fit into this 17-inch colony and vice versa. If I was selling a 17-inch nuke, but somebody had a 19-inch hive, it's absolutely not going to fit because the bar is going to fall in. So I ended up making nuke boxes that were smaller width-wise than the 19 and shallower depth-wise than the 17. And I would put 19-inch bars in all of them. And then I would mark with a little half notch all the way down on the outer edges of those bars, I would mark in, uh, what did I do? Like one inch on each side. And then what ended up happening is you grow a colony that makes a comb that is narrow enough and short enough that it will fit. There you go. You say something so your camera comes on. Okay, so basically the the one at the, uh, the wider one is the 19 inch. And the uh, long, uh, tallest one is the 17 inch. And by getting those dimensions and making a, a conversion, that's the gray area. That's the lowest common denominator, right. which is mathematical, right? And, but except we're not doing fractions or anything. And it's just allowing you to grow a colony that will fit in both boxes. Right. So you end up with a nuke that has that small comb that was the gray area there. She was just showing you in the image that fits plug and play into any size 19 or 17 inch hive. And then you've got these bars and on the bars, like I said, an inch in on either side, I had a notch in them. And so if you bought the bar and you had a 19 inch bar hive, you literally just pick them up, plop them right down in your colony. You're good to go. If you've got a 17 inch hive and I know, and I'm delivering it to you, I pop off those notches off the 19. Suddenly it's a 17 inch bar. We plop it into your colony. You're good to go. So There are ways you can be creative and inventive to solve some of these problems. I didn't need to grow 17-inch nukes and 19-inch nukes and like have to double my thing. I could have one universal nuke size box that was designed to where it could go to either type. And that actually expanded my customer base that I was able to sell to. It eliminated the problem of the competition because they were thinking they were doing something that I couldn't accommodate. Um, You know, so there are smart ways that you can go through and improvise to go through and make something work. (laughs) Yeah, I thought that was genius. And uh, the talking about that kind of like customer market and all stuff. Here's another idea. You're looking, and we're talking about top bars because kind of uh, there's a market and there's uh, sellers of Langstroth nukes everywhere, but there's not when it comes to top bar nukes, right? It's really rare to find people that sell, especially if you're looking for treatment-free top bar nukes that you can plop into your hives uh, without having to convert them from anything. So if you start uh, building the market around you by promoting the same type of, and I highly recommend the Lex Crowder dimensions because we're looking at it here in Texas, it's working really, really well. We have made our plans up available for free. You just distribute those around. You just kind of get everybody to build those. They're super cheap. And now all of a sudden you have an argument to go and approach uh, somebody that has a lot of bees a uh, commercial beekeeper or somebody that's got, you know, a sideliner, uh, just two, 300 hives. And uh, that would be willing to start building those top bar nukes because what you've done by making that, those plants available for free or you've been building those hives uh, and, and gotten people interested in it, you've built a market for somebody to fill. And then at that point, if you connect with another beekeeper that can produce those quality tabar, you know, natural nukes or whatever, you can, you can have some that you can buy yourself. And you can just kind of like start exchanging. You have more mentors, mentoring opportunities for other people. You, you're creating a network. 
and networking is super important when it comes to um, that kind of things. That's absolutely true. And don't, you know, don't be dissuaded sometimes by what's in your local area or, you know, kind of what's going on. The, what, what, how does that saying go? Um, Necessity is the mother of invention, something like that. Right. And exactly what we did here. Yeah. And so we, we were looking at the same group that was doing the 17 inch hives had actually contracted in with a person that was going to start making preformed fitted nuke boxes that are corrugated, but they were made for top bars and less talk to them. I talked to them, Natalie talked to them. We were all like, it needs to be some sort of hybridization so that you can maximize the demographic that you are actually trying to reach to where it can accommodate all these different things. And they absolutely would not listen. They were hell bent and determined. It was going to only fit their style period. And that was it. And that's when I was like, well, then fine, I'll build one and I'll use it for myself. And then it doesn't matter if somebody bought your hive body, they can still buy my bees to put in there. (laughs) Right. And I think that basically what happened is that we completely flooded the market. I mean, there's people that are, the plans are available for free. So people can make them in less than two hours with very uh, cheap materials or reclaimed wood. And so we've promoted it so much that now we've got people building it in Canada, in in, uh, Africa, in Australia. Our friends from Australia are doing it uh, a little bit everywhere. So we're creating a market for the the 19-inch Les Crowder style hives, which uh, we're trying to create a standardization, basically. Um, being something that's interchangeable, that you know um, where you can find bees that will fit your hive without having to do any kind of conversion. And so necessity is the mother of invention, absolutely. Yep. Now, in this whole debate and everything else, again, I, I just said earlier that beekeeping is beekeeping. It does not matter what you put them inside of. And that is absolutely true. And some of the stuff is absolutely kismet because why did Les start doing 19 inch bars? It had nothing to do with it. It was another one of these necessity things. He needed to transport them and they wouldn't fit inside of a nuke box unless they were 19 inches. So he started making them 19 inches. And Mm -hmm. when he did that, it just so happens that it brought those inner dimensions of the hive into the exact same perfect angles that a hexagon would have. So you ended up with half of a hexagon. Now, Some of that is kismet. Some of that is coincidence. It was not on purpose. It's the same thing as why are his hives 48 inches long? Because that's what fit in the back of his bed of his truck from side to side. There was no magical like, oh, it has to be this length. No, it was like, I need to move them. And if I make them bigger than that, they won't fit. It won't fit a six foot long one into the back of your pickup truck. Yeah, you can't have a five foot one back there and let you know. And if you do, it's running the wrong direction. And if you slam on the gas or slam on the brakes, you break all the comb. So a lot of these things come out of necessity or in the pinch of a moment. How do I be creative and how do I come around this? Now, in the long run, what we have found and what we keep harping on the size for is because when those dimensions came in and the floor got shallower, but the top got wider, What ended up happening is you have more attachment space across the top of the bar, which means more support for the comb, Mm -hmm. but the comb doesn't go down as far. So it doesn't get as heavy. It's more evenly distributed. Yeah. It's Mm -hmm. more evenly distributed. And because of that, the bees do not attach it and anchor it to the floor and to the sides of the hive in a 17 inch. It is not that way. Trust me, I have been in so many of them. And that's where you start having the, well, you need to have a tool and you need to have a bread knife because you got to cut the comb off of the side of the hive before you try to pick up the bar. That is only in situations where the comb is narrowly attached and Mm -hmm. really deep. The bees know that that comb cannot support the weight on that narrow attachment. So they make bridges and anchors to hold it. It's physics. The the top, the more vertical the walls, the uh, lower the center of gravity, and the more structural uh, bracing they need to build onto the side of the wall. So so those seventeen inch, they're almost vertical, right? They're just kind of a little bit of an it's angle. It's a very first. narrow slant, yeah. Yeah, and Les was playing with all kinds of angles. The the angle itself, which dictated the bottom of his hive, um, it, it's just kind of happened because he was seeing which ones would not brace as much. And guess what? That 30 degree angle uh, or 120, depending on how you look at it, 
it is the same angle that the hexagons are made out of. Yeah, that's right? that internal dimension but, of a hexagon is a 120 yeah. degree angle, which mm -hmm. when you're cutting the wood is a 30 degree cut. Exactly. And you put those, you put that on with the other one and now suddenly you have a 120 degree angle inside. Exactly. So that's what I was saying. It, it's kismet. He didn't sit down and go, well, it needs to be this way because this is what, you know, it was like, I need my bars to be this size and I need the length right. to be this size. And it just so happened that that perfect angle happened to coincidentally be that same internal dimension of a hexagon right. shape. So there you go. <laughs> now, I will say that it happens sometimes when your hive is not perfectly leveled along the bar, uh, where you've got a little bit of weight, the, the center of gravity is shifting a little bit, then they might brace one side. Um, right. And the other side, right. Especially but with that's, honeycombs. Yeah, that is oftentimes because of the hive not being leveled correctly right. when the beekeeper sets it up. If right. the beekeeper has it level, it's not going to really do that so bad. Right. Um, the other thing that will happen inside of a top bar, regardless of the size of it, is going to be the fast buildup and expansion. As they start getting into the honey expansion, they start making thicker combs and yeah. thicker combs. They will start to curve the ends of them and that curve overlaps into the next bar. And then that causes your cross combing and everything to be get kind of wonky from that. So that's more of a management, just staying on top of it, trying to make sure that it's good. Um, keeping ahead of it while it's still fresh and small is way easier yeah. than after the fact when it's all like a maze and labyrinth inside there. Exactly. And improvising, use an existing drawn comb that's straight and it's uh, going to be used as a follower board in a way to sandwich it in between to just kind of uh, uh, keep it parallel. Uh, and when they're building like this, use that as a uh, follower board, but put the, a brand new bar between the last comb and then the, the, this one so that it's sandwiched between two straight. And, and it's true of Langstroth. Uh, if you're using foundationless, it's true of any hive where you're using foundationless. That is true. I have actually seen them in a empty Langstroth cavity with all foundationless frames build the comb going completely the opposite direction well, from the frames and just jump from one bar to the next as it goes yeah. across from frame to frame. And I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> so the way to uh, pull those out, improvise as well, flip your box upside down and pull the box away from the comb and then do a little cutout. Yep. Cutting out. See, doing bee removals comes in really handy because yeah. after a certain point, any type of comb manipulation is just the it's same fine. thing you would have done with the removal. You just cut the comb, put it on a rescue bar and stick it back in the colony. <laughs> you have to de-dramatize cross combing and, and, and all that stuff because it's really not that big of a deal. No, it I mean, is not. Yeah, it's practice like everything else. So I tell you what, you have listened to us ramble on about all kinds yeah. of either misadventures and funny things and whatever. So... I challenge you to go down here in the comments and tell us some of your little improvisations that you've done, little quick fixes or oops moments where maybe that wasn't a bright idea and I shouldn't do that again, but it worked at the time. Um, you know, put those down there. We would love to see them so that we can get a laugh as well. It's only fair. You laugh at us. We should be able to laugh at you too. <laughs> That's right. I'm, I'm eager to see what you guys are going to come up with. Here's one funny one for the road. Uh, you forget your smoker, but you have dry cow manure. Uh, just light it up. It'll smolder just enough to create some smoke that you can wave around like saging. <laughs> I was going to say saging. I did that. Not I with cow that. manure though. Yeah, yeah, it was hard. Uh, cow manure, that duck box at the Audubon Park, uh, that's what I did. I took, I basically, when you said like saging, like a smudge <laughs> stick, I yeah. took burlap and I took a handful of dried yep. grass and I rolled it in the burlap and then wrapped the burlap <laughs> around it. And I made like a smudge stick because I had everything. I had all my fuel and everything, but I didn't have the damn smoker. And so I'm out there lighting the end of this and blowing on it and lighting it and blowing on it. And then that's exactly what I did. I held it in front of the hive. And then I gently was like, <laughs> and like blowing the smoke off the top of it towards the hive. <laughs> that, uh, yeah, that's a very clever idea. You got to do what you got to do. Improvise. That's right. Just don't burn down the apiary in the process. Oops. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> trust me, 
a bundle of dried grass wrapped in burlap is very flammable. <laughs> I wouldn't do that when it's dry in Texas or no. Australia or anything. Or windy or, you know, but again, I, I was like, it worked. It did what I needed to do. I got I got a little bit of smoke in the entrance and underneath the intercover and I was able to do what I needed to do. That was the same day that I showed up and I did not have the smoker. I did not have my bee suit. I just had the veil. I was in a tank top. Like oh, yeah, shorts and flip-flops. That yeah. whole day was improvising because I was like, look, <laughs> damn it. It took me an hour to get out here. And I have stuff I need to do. And it's been a week and I need to get it done. And I've left half my stuff at home. We're going to have to figure this out. <laughs> and it may be a painful experience. I walked away without a single sting. I was very proud of myself. There you go. That was, I think it's on Instagram. You can can see that. I think there is, I think there's at least a photo out there of me. Like in the photo, even I'm shirtless. I like, you can just see from the top. I'm like, oh, like, what do you do when you forgot your suit? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. That's uh, there you go. So there to see some funny stories um, again, go ahead and post yours down there. Give us a comment. Tell us some of the goofy things you've done or clever things that you've come up with, because as you've heard Natalie say, as Les says, we all rise together. So if you've got some brilliant thing you've come up with that helps you out with your beekeeping, let us know. And then we can turn around and we can share it with everybody else. And uh, yeah, see that that's just, it makes everybody's lives easier. And if nothing else, we all need a good laugh every now and then. <laughs> yes, absolutely. We can laugh at ourselves as well. You have to, you have to be able to laugh at yourself because you really need to most of the time. And the beauty of beekeeping is that you have endless stories to tell everybody, especially your other beekeeping friends, because, you know, we all go through interesting situations where we actually do have to improvise quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All kinds of fun stories, you know, 20 foot up in the ladder on a tree, you get a weird, warm feeling in your crotch, like you peed your pants and realize you set yourself on fire. Oops. That's a story for another day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll talk about that another day. I've got a couple as well. Yeah. All right, everybody. Well, thank you so much for tuning in. Hopefully you enjoyed it. It was very rambly. We were kind of all over the place, but again, it, we were improvising. So um, we hope you enjoyed <laughs> the episode and we look forward to talking to you again next week. But as always, until then, I will say my line that I am supposed to be good, everybody. <laughs> and y'all be mindful. Oh, y'all. Y'all come back now, yeah? <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye-bye, everybody. Bye, guys. This Hive Jive production was made possible by amazing patrons like you, and we appreciate your support. To all our Hive Jive junkies out there, you truly are the bee's knees. <laughs>